This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 763. What's going on, everyone? It's David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with Rob Abasolo. Not only are we the biggest, the baddest, and the best real estate podcast in the world, we also have another B, Barbara Corkin. I try to be honest when I'm not but a lot of people like to be right. They like to be accurate. Does it make sense? They ask opinions. They really sharpen their sword and they never get out there. For those that are listening to you and they feel the call in their soul, I need to be more like Barbara, but they're just risk averse. What advice do you have for those poor, timid souls? Get out of the game. They're never going to do well. I hate to be that coarse, but get out of the game. If you're afraid of risk, you have no business being a real estate. Today's guest is none other than Barbara Corcoran. She is a straight D student, held 20 jobs before the age of 23, is an avid TikTok user, hosts her own podcast, Business Unusual. She's as resilient as she is brilliant. Please help me welcome Barbara Corcoran. Barbara, good morning to you. Thank you, David. Nice to see you, Rob. Nice to see you. And in case you've been living under a rock, Barbara is a host of Shark Tank and the queen of New York City real estate. We are thrilled to have you on today. I know that there's a lot of information that our listeners are going to love. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rental Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, Barbara, we are going to start with a game. We call this game Two Truths and a Lie. And it should be fun. In this case, I am going to read a statement. Rob and I are both going to try to guess if it is honest or not. And then you're going to tell us after we guess. Statement number one. Barbara's landlord once tried to evict her because he thought she was running a prostitution ring. Rob? Ooh, okay. That is 
very specific. And I don't think that that's a, a scenario that our producers would have just written to be read on the show. So I'm going to go, that is a true. True. Wow. I'm going to say that it is exactly what someone would come up trying to not look like they were throwing the ball over their eyes. I think this is a double agent of a question, and I'm going to go with lie. Of course it was true. I came home one night, eviction notice on my door from being a prostitute. And the reason for that, he he was he had a reason to do it. I guess my landlord, John Campagna was his name. Uh, he saw men in and out of my apartment all day long. But what he didn't know was that I had started a business in the apartment with my two roommates and I met all my customers there. So they would come in, we'd spend an hour, and then i go out with them. We'd come in again, we'd go out with new guys. So he thought I was a prostitute. But what was great was when I confronted him, I went to his office and told him he got an old warrant. I was just a working girl. He gave me an exclusive on his entire building of 14 units. So I came out smelling like roses. I think I missed what the business was. What were you guys doing when you would go out with the gentleman? He had renting apartments. I started my first brokerage firm, and we were renting apartments up and down the streets of the city. So you were going to show apartments to these people. They would just meet you at your place. Now, technically, could he have evicted you for creating a, an unwarranted business, like a commercial business in the apartment? Was that against the lease or anything? Um, I'm sure it was against the lease. But most importantly, if his sentiment was that he'd wanted me out of the building for whatever reason, he could have certainly asked me to move out because I had too much traffic. But you turned that into a business opportunity in the sense that you were able to lease his units, right? Yes, but you have to realize one of his arch competitors was three blocks south on 83rd Street, and I was renting his apartments for 10% more than the building I lived in because I was building part walls and making one bedrooms into one bedrooms and a half. And so I got more rent for him, and he got jealous. That's really why I got his listings. Okay. All right. Next question. Barbara once invested over $100,000 in videotapes for property walkthroughs. Rob? Okay, here's why I think this is true. I think it's true because uh, Barbara foresaw that Comfy would would sell $85 million uh, when other people didn't see it coming. And I imagine that at this time, videotapes for property walkthroughs is probably kind of like a new revolutionary thing. Barbara's revolutionary, so I, this is true. Well, Rob, you're obviously smarter than, you, than uh, David is. What are you going to say? <laughs> you threw me off a little bit with that comment there. Uh, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how these videotapes would be used to generate business. You can't put them on the internet. Uh, you can't really like, there wouldn't be any reason to mail them. So you're a smart marketer. I feel like they might've been trying to throw us off by using a marketing tool, but I, I'm going to go with lie just because I can't see the benefit of this. Who's right? Oh, you're going to get jealous of David once again. It's true, except the number was wrong. I don't know how you read that one, but it was $77,000, my first profit. I blew on homes on tape, put all my apartments on tape and asked my salespeople, please give them out to your customers. It's going to make the shopping easier. Remember, this was before the internet. It was a disaster. However, I heard that my husband, who was a Navy captain, had played war games in Korea on this new thing called the internet. And when he told me how it worked... I slammed my apartments on there and had two sales within a week. I was the first firm on the internet with a lead time of two years because I just happened to listen to my husband and moved on it quickly. Wow. Okay. So this was sort of a, this, I would liken this to maybe like back in the day in Walmart, you would walk in and they were giving out like thousands of like AOL CDs and you're like, yeah, I guess I'll take it. So this is sort of what you were telling your agents. You're like, hey, I've got these VHS copies of the third floor walk up here on 8th Street. Give those out to your to your friends and family. See who wants to buy it. And then it didn't actually pan out at that time. Do you know what was wrong? You know what was wrong with that? I had my agent's name, face, professional makeup, and phone number with every apartment. And they refused to give them out because they didn't want to lose their customer to the next agent. I never thought of that one. That's why I wasted the $77,000. So had you not done that, do you think that that business strategy would have taken off? Uh, probably not. But what I do know, by doing it and failing so miserably, I had to save face and come up with a cover. And I came up with the internet and it wasn't a cover. It was the best thing for me to step in. Okay. Very, very cool. Um, all right. Last one, Dave. Cue it up. Last statement. Barbara was asked to speak to Citigroup, but then choked on stage. 
easy one. Come on, guys. This is, I, I'm going to assume choked like, oh, I, I blew it. Not choked like, you know, she, you're eating a piece of steak and you're like choking. But I'm going to go no, impossible. I think this is choked like, like Eminem, eight mile mama's spaghetti on the sweater style. <laughs> okay, got it. Then I'm going to go not true. Uh, I can't see it. Obviously, a very charismatic uh, speaker, so uh, false on this. I'm going to go much more logically because we already found the lie, and since this is two truths and a lie, I'm pretty sure this has to be a truth. We probably shouldn't have named it that, so I'm going to go with truth. <laughs> Looks to me, David, that you just had an IQ implant somewhere because you are rich. <laughs> well, I think I still won. Yeah. You know, with that deal, it wound up as a good thing. Because they asked me to sit down, I was mortified. I th- I actually got paranoid and thought everybody I passed on the street had been in the audience that night for a week. And then I realized I had to get over myself. I was going to have to public speak sometime in my life, so I volunteered to teach at NYU at night. And I found my star salesperson the first night I was teaching, Carrie Chiang. And she made for me in that year $400,000 when my best agent was making $42,000. So it goes... For me, I learned the great lesson, much more important than speaking. I learned the great lesson, get back up. Get back up. You never know what's around the corner. Well, this is your opportunity, uh, Barbara, if you'd like to redo the speech, a little redemption, what we've blocked off in an hour. So you can go ahead and start from the top. I'm not going to do that to you guys. It wasn't a very good speech anyway. All right. Thank you for playing that game with us. It's always fun to get to learn these little like tidbits and personal stories of what someone's been through. But David, you don't look like having fun. You don't look like you're having fun at all. I have what's called resting cop face. They call it RCF. Oh my God. Don't let that fool you, Barbara. This this is what I look like when I'm- It's intimidating. Oh, Yes. As a cop, that wasn't the worst thing in the world, but I suppose as a podcast host, that's not the same thing. Would you say that most of your successes in real estate investing have been built off of failures? Uh, yeah, because I don't know. There's something about the universe. When you fall on your face, it's like bouncing a ball. The harder you hit, the more you could bounce up. And there's always another flip side to it. Always another flip side. I learned that building my business very much so. In terms of investing in real estate outside of my firm where I bought properties and nurtured the properties and tried to increase the rent rolls, I don't think that really holds true that I that I learned from failure. I just became very careful. But I did have a wacky formula for buying real estate, and I always did well by repeating the same little dance step again and again. Do you want to know what that is? Please. I should do your question, as you know, okay? Number one, I always bought in up-and-coming areas. I was in Brooklyn long before anybody was buying Brooklyn from Manhattan. I was in there early, and I always looked for a 10% partner. I found a local person who knew their neighborhood, loved their neighborhood, wasn't in the business. I made them the 10% partner. I put in the cash. And they found me the best property, the absolute best property. So I hedged my bet right away. I paid them the 10% and I told them they could overpay for the property. I didn't care. And almost every property I overpaid for, I overpaid again and again and again. Um, I've just repeated that again. And I also located the up and coming areas by talking to waiters, creative people and said, where are you living now? They were poor. They couldn't pay their rent. They had five guys living together or four girls living together. And I would say, where are you living? And they tell me where they, they were living. I would go at that. We can look at the area. And that's always where I bought my real estate. And that's where the biggest gain is in up and coming areas. But they're risky. You don't know what you're doing. And I had a partner who knew what they were doing. Okay. So you said that you found a 10% partner. Um, can you explain this construct a little bit? When you say 10% partner, did you give them, did you say, hey, go find me a cool building? If you find me a lead, I'll give you 10% of the purchase price? Or were they actually equity partners in that property? They were equity partners and they stayed with me until I sold. I hold on to properties a long time because I'd say you make a lot of money slowly in real estate. But when I sell, they get their 10% share and it's substantial. Sometimes I paid off my partners with 10% that represented 50% of what we paid for the building 10 years ago because they really appreciated it. But their interest was there. Their heart and soul wasn't like a broker want to sell me something. Their interest was, I'm going to buy you the best place, the right side of the street, away from that problem, because they were changing areas, choppy areas. So you can always make a lot of mistakes there. I never made a mistake. They always found me the best stuff. That's really cool. So did they have any, um, I mean, you know, if you're giving someone 10% stake in the, in the property, 
were they sort of like property managers? Did you actually in, empower them to actually run and maintain the property as well? Or was that a, a separate job function? No, I really didn't because I knew how to run property. I had the organization set up and that's not really what turned them on. They didn't want to collect rent and stuff, you know. But why it worked so well is I had the money. I didn't have the time. They had the time. They didn't have the money. We were perfect partners together. Awesome. Did you ever make any millionaires out of these partners? Millionaires? Well, I had a different one in every locale I went into. Um, no, probably not millionaires, but close to millionaires. Yeah, probably pretty close if it's 50% that what you paid for the property. Um, so I've always said this. If you can afford it, it's probably too late. Or sorry, if you can't afford it, it's probably too late for you to buy it. Like you never really can afford the thing that you want. So you should be buying things that scare you a little bit, things that are a little bit more up and coming. And you said that you would go into these neighborhoods and overpay. Why overpay for a property at this time? Because there's something weird that happens when you're uh, a dealer in properties. The minute I was interested in something, gosh, somebody else was interested. So I would just say right away, I'll pay 10% more than the next guy. Close it get your hands on it, take it off the table. It shouldn't be that way, but it's, for me, maybe I had bad luck. It always was that way. So I just decided I didn't care about overpaying. You know, you go into a new up-and-coming area, it appreciates so quickly that 10% is absorbed less than a year later. You've already made up that loss, and it's not even a loss. It's a perceived loss, but you more than make it up. So why worry about it? It's history. Yeah, it's a very narrow perspective when the only way that you look at making money in real estate is from one element, such as you only look at the cash flow. You only look at the price you paid versus what they're asking for. There's, I've I broken down to 10 different ways that you make money in real estate. And you mentioned one of them is what I call uh, market appreciation, which is this area will appreciate faster than the market as a whole that like you refer to as up and coming area. Well, if you have a really big chunk on that end, you can afford to, uh, buy less equity, which is what I call when you pay less than a property's worth. You don't have to win as much on that side if you're getting a huge win on another side. And uh, you're a great example because so many people in our community would say you should never overpay. Just go write another 7,500 7, offers instead. And eventually you'll strike gold, but you may end up buying a property that nobody else wants. And there's a reason why that would be. I share a story I heard as a very young broker that never left me. I was going to listen to Harry Helmsley. Of course, you know that name the biggest commercial owner in New York at the time. I heard him lecture and I raised my hand. I said, hey, listen, do you, how do you get a great deal on a property? He said, I always overpay. What? You overpaid? <laughs> That's what he So you get a good deal by getting a bad deal, kind of. Yeah, right. Because it makes up for it in the long run. Or even in the short run, it makes up for it. I mean, I would say, and David, I don't know if this is true for you too, but on my end of things, um, when I calculate all of the cash flow that I've ever made from real estate, it really pales in comparison to the appreciation I've had on the portfolio itself. You know, Barbara, that's one of the things about your story that I wanted to ask you is it, when, it seems like when you got your start, you, you've talked about the snowball. That first property went up in value, created the next, created the next. Now, equity from previous properties is paying for future properties. You never have to put your own money into real estate again, theoretically. This is in direct opposition to the uh, cash flow gurus that tell everybody only look at properties for the ROI the cash flows are going to provide, nothing else matters. As someone who's been very successful with real estate, who has admitted that you're playing an appreciation game, you're kind of thinking at it like an entrepreneur. If I buy this company, how much can I increase the value of the company? Not just what are the cash flows of this company right now? What can you share about that perspective? You know, I don't even, uh, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I don't pay attention to it. How I look at it is I look at the property and think, how much of a mortgage could I slam on this property where the tenants pay the rent and I have a little extra to pay the expenses that always come up, you know, new roof, or boil or what have you. Um, so I just see how highly leveraged I can get. And then the minute the property becomes worth more and the rents go up, I go back and slam a new mortgage on it and take the money out. Remember, tax-free, take the money out. I buy another property. So I believe in a high leverage. I'm not afraid of that at all. As long as I could pay my expenses, I never leverage beyond the point where I'm not going to sleep at night, you know? That's how I multiplied my portfolio again and again. Do you know, I bought, uh, and this is a true story, I bought a studio apartment in Greenwich Village when I was 29. I scraped together 10%. I think it was $88,000 or thereabouts is my recollection. I scraped together 
I chickened out and I didn't close. They kept my deposit. I didn't sue for it. Uh, they were because I just purposely failed the board. It was a board. Okay. It took me three years before I could get my hands on another property because Manhattan ran away from me. There was no way I could buy something. When I finally bought a studio, I traded for a one bedroom. Then I traded it for a two bedroom and I could always afford it because it appreciated a lot. Then a three bedroom. I can't say I bought the penthouse I live in today, which is worth so much money from that property, but I would have never been in the game if I hadn't gotten in the game. It was such a shame I didn't get into it three years earlier. I could have done so much more. Not that I regret that, because I guess you get cold feet once in a while, right? Uh, but I cold feet again. Very often at a closing table, I'll start second guessing myself, like, well, how good is that area? And I just look at my partner and I think, what do you think? They are such a believer in the neighborhood. I go, no problem. Let's close. It's so interesting. It sounds like you're you're investing in an area, not as much in a specific unit. And it, uh, I don't care so much about the unit. I care about the area, but realize, too, I care about the partner. If I've got the wrong partner, I've got the wrong building. If I got the wrong building, I got the wrong numbers, you know? Another crash with you, which illustrates this beautifully, is I bought a townhouse on 10th Street in Greenwich Village, and I still own West, West 10th Street. I bought that building for 120000 which sounds ridiculous, a five-story, eight-unit building, okay? I remortgaged that building to date probably nine times, maybe 10. I don't know if I'm exaggerating. Every time I took a chunk load of hundreds of thousands of dollars out of it, and I had a great standard of living. I always took that money out for one purpose, to buy myself a more beautiful home or a second home. It's been a cash cow. I would never sell that business. I would never sell anything. I said business. It's really like a business, a separate business. I would never sell that building. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Yeah, okay, so... All right, so this sort of uh, reminded me of of a story that I've heard, uh, something that I heard on 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 your social channels, actually, on I think on TikTok, um, a story about the the penthouse that I, I believe you own now, and the origin story of how back in the day you sort of willed it and you manifested it, right? That hey, this this is going to be my property one day. Do you think you could share that story for the listeners at home? Of course I could. I was in a bad stretch of real estate. I took a job as a messenger because I could work different hours. I had the Corcoran Group at the time, as shocking as I might sound. I probably had about maybe 85 agents, 90 agents working for me, but I couldn't meet my overhead. So I decided I needed another job. So I went out and worked as a messenger. They paid very well per messenger that you delivered. And I delivered some package to a lady up on 97th and 5th. I walked into a house, an older lady, and I looked, and she had a stunning terrace and view of Central Park. I was blown away. I didn't know people lived like that, even though I was in the real estate because I had never seen a place like that. And I said to her as she signed for the message, I said, do me a favor, ma'am. Call me if you ever decide to sell. Did I believe myself? Probably not. But I thought, what the heck? I'll put in my hat, you know. And she gave me, uh, what, what did she say? I think she said something, they'll take me out in a box or I'll die at this place, something like that. I left. You know, she called me. Like 14 years later, and I bought her apartment for $10 million. <laughs> How do you like that? I don't say I manifested it. I don't think I manifested. I had a lot of good luck making money after that, and I came out of whatever trough I was in and was able to quit that job and concentrate on my business again. But I, I couldn't believe it when she called me. I remembered I remembered the view, and it was no different when I went back to see it. So when she called you, um, by the way, this is one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard, but when she called you, did she happen to remember Barbara Corcoran, the the messenger, or at this point had your business exploded and maybe she remembers your face and she saw you on billboards? Like, how did she get in contact with you? When she saw me as a messenger, I wasn't doing billboard advertising. I didn't do full pages in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. I became prominent in my field after that. I don't think she even registered by face, but she must have. Uh, but then she saw that I might have the money for that thing because I looked like a big big cheese, even though most times I didn't have the money, right? Uh, and she called me on the basis of what she was seeing in the public eye. I'm just oh. happy she remembered me. And you know, funny enough, two days ago, I got a handwritten note from her. She remembered her first, I can't even remember her first name. Anyway, she said, thank you uh, for answering my call. I'm so happy I called you to sell you my apartment. And I kept it as proof because a lot of people say that can't possibly happen. I have it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to put it out there right now. For all of the, the hundreds of thousands of listeners at home, Barbara, when you want to sell your penthouse, please call me, all right? I'm going to give myself a 14-year clock to be able to afford a penthouse in New York City. Deal? It's a deal, but you better shorten your clock to maybe 10 years. I'm not sure I have that much time left. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll get you. I'll start putting the feelers out around nine, nine and a half. Good enough. I won't answer your call. I'm sure my kids want my house. So that house, I mean, at the time that you bought it, obviously it was very expensive, $10 million. But 
Was that also in appreciation play? Did you know, hey, if I buy this, it's going to be worth more one day? Or was it just more of a, I want this because I wanted it. I want to realize this goal of owning this home. And you know, the, the financials are kind of the, the afterthought. Nothing's more luscious than having a dream come true. That's what drove me. I wanted my dream to come true. I dreamt about that place over and over again. Okay, that was a, that was a driver. But I also knew as a real estate person, you buy on Fifth Avenue with the full park view, nobody's going to build in front of it. What's going to go wrong with that investment? Nothing. It's golden. So I had no hesitation and get a good investment as well. You've said before, Barbara, that one of your greatest assets as a business leader is your imagination. Coming up with ideas and being willing to test them, what are some of the ideas that have worked for you with real estate investing? Well, let me tell you, it's always my imagination. Uh, because you know what? The little guy, when you're scrapping and trying to come up from the bottom, uh, really has the corner on imagination, new ideas, and getting ideas into the street fast. My big competitors, I noticed they move slow. They have committees, attorneys, accountants. They have an idea on Monday. It might come out six months later. I had an idea on Monday. It was on the street by Wednesday. So I very much relied on my imagination. Probably my biggest idea that made the biggest change in my business for the very first time I did it was writing the corporate report. I had 11 sales for the year. It was a terrible time. Something wrong with the market. I don't know what it was. I had a complaining salesperson accusing me of not supporting them, not advertising. Well, of course, I had no money. I didn't want to tell them that. Uh, but I said, I have a great idea. And then after they left, I thought, now what kind of big idea do I have? And I thought of the corporate report. I took the 11 sales, averaged them out, and it came out to 58400 and some odd change for an average apartment that I sold, my firm sold. And I published a report with one line, the Corcoran Group, the Corcoran Report, sorry, Conditions and Trends in the Greater New York City Marketplace, and sent it to the New York Times. Every writer wrote that day. And two Sundays later, I was on the front page of the real estate section. According to Barbara Corcoran, prices have reached an all-time low using my figure. My figure based on 11 sales, and that day was a bellwether change for me in my career because people would call and I could hear my agents on the phone saying, oh, you've heard of us? Usually they were on the phone saying, C-O-R, C-O-R, that kind of thing. We were found. Suddenly people thought I was smart. Like, was I smart? No, I was clever. But a lot of people like to be right. They like to be accurate. Does it make sense? They ask opinions. They really sharpen their sword and they never get out there. I got the idea slammed it, whatever it was, and threw it out to the marketplace. And only a percentage worked. But believe me, the things that work for me and my company work at least five times more than anybody else because I was always out there trying stuff and I ran lean and mean and fast. That is such a good point. I can't let us pass this over. I've noticed this as a real estate broker, real estate investor, real estate everything. People that come into our business from other professions, architects, engineers, anyone that was somewhat analytical. Oh, gosh. Yes, you're making the same face that we all make when we get those people. They want to make a spreadsheet of the 18 properties that they don't want to buy and go over all the reasons they don't want to buy it with you. Or isn't that true? Yes. Especially bankers, finance guys. Oh, my God. Yes. Anyone that has an analytical mind is also trained to not make mistakes. And they've got this emotional relationship with numbers where they believe making a mistake will lose you money or cause you pain in some way. And the way you win at life is to never make a mistake. And it is a very difficult gateway that you've got to go through to make money in real estate where you learn making mistakes does not lose you money. Like you just said, throw as much out there as you can. The more things that stick are what are going to make you money. That you do, you can do nothing wrong in a day, make zero mistakes and make no money. You can do 20 things in a day, 17 of them were wrong, but your three wins were still more than the zero wins that the analytical mind had. And I know people that are listening to this are having a hard time gaining traction. They're having a hard time getting going. Listen to what Barbara's saying here. Stop thinking that avoiding mistakes is the way that you win in the space with real estate. Any, any uh, advice on that topic, Barbara? Yeah, I would say that I tried. To, uh, you know, you have some very brilliant people in the game, uh, people well-educated. I always lose my money with Harvard MBAs. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I always do. If I, they're in the game, I'm like, go, not going there anymore. Um, you get a left brain type of person, um, terrible for investing in real estate because they lack one thing in their DNA, they're risk aversive. If you're risk aversive, you can't win at real estate. You got to have blind faith a lot of the time. You know, I think, what am I crazy? But I'll do it anyway because I've come this far, I'll do it anyway. Uh, it's different. You know, maybe they run funds and then punch numbers, but they never make a lot of money. I'm telling you, the scrappy, 
first-generation immigrant that doesn't know any better is much more apt to make money than the Harvard-educated kid that just came out of school has been working for 10 years. <laughs> and it's not to say that numbers don't matter. It's that being in love with the numbers is the problem. It's having the vision. It's seeing the opportunities. Oh, that that's such a good point. It made me think about when someone wants to you know, date someone Nobody wants to be courted by a guy who just overanalyzes everything and never makes a mistake. They want a person who's going to put themselves out there, be passionate about what they're doing, try different things, show the love that they have for someone. That matters so much more than the person who's like, I made sure we had reservations at every single restaurant at the exact same time. And I scanned the menu before we even went. So I knew what I was going to order. Like <laughs> that isn't what makes anyone fall in love, right? Real estate won't fall in love with you if that's the, <laughs> the approach you're taking. It's so true. It's so true what you just said. Barbara, out of curiosity, um, on this, the the Barbara Corcoran report that you you, you kind of mathed out, hey, the you know real estate is at an all time low in New York City. Aside from the, I know, I know that you mathed it out based on yours, but was there actually any truth to that number on a broader scale? Like, was that pretty close to what was actually happening? Did anybody ever call you and say, hey, that's not true, or hey, how did you how did you know? Like, I was kind of curious how that your data actually ended up comparing to the actual data of New York. Did you ever look into that? No, I didn't. It was already out. It was printed. I was getting the notary. Who knows if it was accurate? Who cares if it was accurate? The main thing was nobody else had a number out there. Nobody was producing numbers. After that, over the next 10, 20 years, people started mimicking my my competitors because they realized all the reporters called me. Why? Not that I had better opinions than them or was more experienced. I was certainly less experienced, but I had a number to give them. And what do reporters need more than anything else? They don't need your opinion. They already have an opinion when they call. They want a good soundbite. And more importantly, they want numbers to back up their own opinion. And I gave it to them. I mean, if I had a reporter call me and say, hey, I'm, wa- I'm working on a Russian oil well story, and I wonder if you have any uh, rich Russians that I could talk to, I found them a Russian to talk to, or two or three. They came to me like a source. I feel like a media joint. What do you need? Got it. What do you need? Got it. It's not important whether your number is right or not. You do the best you can. Was that an accurate number? Based on my sales, was it in line with the, with the field? Probably, but I didn't care. I already had the number, got the notoriety, it was on to the next. Are you allowed to say next bullet report? Yeah, the next report. I just kept churning the things out. You know, the Richard Gere report, the Madonna report, the Hillary Clinton report, the Guggenheim Museum report. Just I would grab any number, average out, pop it out there because I had the nerve enough to have the, I didn't have the decency enough to wonder if my numbers were right. You know. Okay, I love it. So I mean, you you said you were clever. Obviously, what what was happening here is you're a genius marketer, and uh, that comes into play with with something that I that I heard about uh, a word of mouth campaign that that you had when you were trying to sell out a unit or sell out a building. Could you, could you tell us that story too? Oh, you're probably referencing the one day one price sale. And by the way, exaggerate. I'm not a marketing genius. I just take risk. I'm good at that. That's I swear to God, that's a, the baseline of the whole thing. No, I had 88 apartments that an insurance company and developer came to me for two, came to every bill, every broker in town. We need to sell these. Interest rates were 18%. Can you imagine that? That's why when everybody's excited about the high interest rates now, I'm like, what are you talking about? Interest rates were 18%. No one was buying anything. And they said, we have to sell these 88 units and we don't want to auction. We don't want a public sale because we don't want to be embarrassed. I looked at the units that didn't have kitchens, the high floors, low floors, back apartments, Creepy lobbies, they had everything wrong. So I went back and said, no, there's no way to sell it. I'd like to tell you differently, no way to sell it. I met with the developer and the insurance company. And interesting about motivation, the developer, Bernie Mendick, who has since deceased, he said to me, you're a smart girl, you'll figure it out. And I had a rise to his occasion. I went home that night and thought of a puppy sale my mother brought me to where all the puppies were given away and there were too many buyers for the puppies. So I did an exact knockoff on that. I went back and I said, we're pricing all the units alike. Back apartments, high floors, low floors, all alike. You give them the mortgage so they don't have to worry about the mortgage at 2% down from the 18%. Okay, we'll have a one-day sale. First come, first serve. And I opened that office on the Upper East Side in the morning around, I, it was due to open at, I think, 8 o'clock, but I was there at 6.30. I had over 150 people in line waiting for those 80 apartments. And I said, Go! I gave them the sheets, the addresses. They ran. Husbands, wives, single people ran to see the apartments they wanted the best for them. 
It was sold out, I would say, with less than two hours, I made a million dollars. Who would ever see that thing coming? And you know what the key to it was? It wasn't enough to go around. And even the guy who got the loser, the really disgusting apartment with the same price as everybody else, he was happy because he saw us how many people were waiting behind him who couldn't get anything, you know? So that was just a marketing boy, a secret sale with no advertising to support it, but it worked like a dream. How many units did you say that you sold? 88 units. And the average sale price, well, right now it won't sound like anything. The average sales price, I think, was $64,000. Wow. No, I mean, that's 88 units. I, I'm sure that's got to be a record in New York for the fastest building ever sold out. Um, if listeners want to hear more about the story, you, you tell this a little bit more as well on TikTok in your Get Ready With Me video, right? Yes. Looking at that one, I, I believe it had over a million views. Yes, I think it may have, you know? I think it's because I look so good without makeup. Yeah, no, it's a very fun series. I think your your social platform and in all of the stories that you tell really really are a, a very fun thing to watch. I find myself on your on your reels all the time. Uh, something that you mentioned a little bit earlier about the 18% interest rates. You know, I, I say this all the time. I mean, I say that interest rates used to be uh, yeah, 16 to 18% back in the 80s, 90s. Um, and then a lot of people say, yeah, well... The cost of living back then wasn't all that high, so it's not the same. And that's what I was going to ask. It's all relative. So when you sort of look at it, having seen your career play out, do you feel that you know, like a seven and a half, eight percent interest rate is really detrimental to the success of people in today's market? Well, it is in this one regard. It keeps people out of the market because of their expectations. Remember, we got until night until last year, we were accustomed to. Three percent, right? I think that's what the mortgage rate was. Yeah, and then percent. Yeah, so we got accustomed to that. So everything is relative. Like, oh, I wish I had gotten it. Then I missed the boat. I wish. No, it's not that way at all. And it was just as expensive to live in New York. I'm telling you. But people still borrowed at all along the way. Fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Once it got beyond sixteen, people started pulling back. But today. People are pulling back at what five percent? Where is it now? I don't even I don't even keep track of it honestly because it seems so cheap to me. You no, know, I I don't think that's true. The premise that people are giving you at all. No, I still feel like there's deals to be done because of the low interest rates. I don't label it as high. I remarked all my buildings in the last year at a higher rate. I probably should have done it a year early, but it's still a cheap rate. My God. Well, you did mention. Um you know, you would buy this property and then you would slam a new mortgage on it once you once the rents went up. That concept, I believe, you're talking about is a cash out refi. Um, so basically, it, you you would the the uh, value of the building would go up, and if the rents went up and you could do a cash out refi, you'd have a little bit of a higher mortgage, but you'd be able to as long as you could cover your bills, you would take that money out and reinvest it somewhere else, right? I'm talking about a lot of money back out. I'm not saying I had a mortgage of. 200,000, I put 250 on it. I would wait five years, say, and for the 200,000, I would then put an $850,000 mortgage on, put in my pocket. Listen, refinancing is the way you really get rich in holding real estate. That's why I never like to sell. It's just a bank that's going to keep on giving. That's how I look. I feel like I'm in the banking business, but I have real estate to back it up. You know, on that topic, you've mentioned several strategies that are somewhat, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're not common when, when you hear this. Uh, overpaying. And when you say overpaying, what I'm assuming you mean is just paying more than the list price. It doesn't necessarily mean you overpaid because real estate is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. Focusing on the location over the actual unit. Putting an emphasis on solid fundamentals of an area and an asset class over over-reliance on the analytics of a specific unit and, and getting... Like not looking at the numbers with a microscope, sort of take, looking at them with a big picture plan, picking the right partner to invest. And this is very different than the gurus that sell real estate investing courses that say, I will teach you how to analyze a property and you can just look at every single property individually. The question I wanted to ask you is, do you believe this this works primarily in markets where you're likely to see appreciation, where money is flowing, something like New York City, Manhattan, maybe South Florida right now, some of the California markets. Do you think that's part of where your strategy came from was the area that you were in and the business that you were involved in? Um, not really. I think it would apply anywhere. There's always a uh, prime real estate that's golden that everybody's clamoring for that you don't have enough to go around. And then there's always the next area, next store that people say, I don't really like it so much. I don't want to have my kids go to school there. And then I, oh, the reasons why. Those are the areas that are the sweet spot. And that's everywhere. 
just New York. I mean, it happened to me because I was in New York doing Brooklyn. I did. I thank God picked Brooklyn versus New Jersey. I don't know why. I really didn't know New Jersey. Okay, but you could always find an area. It works. I, I just don't think it's about a particular area. There's always something up and coming. You know what is a great way to find out if you're right in your premise? You travel there at night. I never went into any area of Brooklyn and even found a partner or started investing. I used to get a car at night, rent a big driver because I didn't know what I was headed for, and I would cruise the streets. And what do you think I would find at night? A lively evening community of creative, generally gay communities having a ball. The gays always moving first is how I found. And then after that, I would go and I would see the the baby carriages and hallways stuffed in, collapsible, cheap carriages. Ah, the yuppies are starting to come in. You see a lot at night when people aren't at work. You see what's happening, who's living there. I remember I bought one building on the very upper west side because I saw old ladies all sitting on the bench with pigeons and they weren't getting mugged. I thought I would never sit on that bench, but it was safe enough for the old ladies. So I realized something's changing here. I think you have to just be uh, personally involved and have your mind open. I mean, I have even chosen particular blocks based on their trees. I know it sounds weird, but it's so darn pretty. I'm thinking everybody's going to love this block. Look at flowering trees. You know, more important to me than the numbers, because when I look at the numbers, I'm just seeing today's numbers, but I'm projecting what tomorrow's numbers might be, and I'm buying on that basis. That is such a good point. Not getting wrapped up in, I call it the year one result. When we analyze a property, we're looking at right now in this snapshot of time, what can I expect it to do? But you're not buying it for a year. You're buying it for forever if you're Barbara and you keep refinancing them. And you can't analyze for what it's going to be like in 30 years. Those There's some intangibles that go into this and you're sharing a lot of that. Um, I, I have one last question, but before I ask it, I know you have a technique involving waiters in restaurants and getting valuable information from them. Can you share that with our audience? The best. You know, you go to a restaurant, there's always good looking young waiters. Okay. They want to be dancers. They want to be writers. They came to New York. New York is such a wonderful place to draw people in. Right. So they all come to New York, but they're making their rent. They're working at night. So I always make a habit of saying, where are you living? Where are you living? And then I make a mental note. Now on my phone, I used to have a little pad with me, make a mental note, and then I'm out there within a week looking at it at night. That's what I do. It's a little routine. A lot doesn't pan out. Like some areas are too darn early for me. They scare me uh, because I'm like, I'm so happy I have that big driver with me. That's not a good area, you know, but most of them pan out. So I always think you have to tap into youthfulness and people who are short on cash to identify up and coming. I think it's your best guide. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it's effectively asking locals, you know, what the secret spots are. Like, hey, where are you at? What are the, what's the cool bar? What's the the cool club in town? And basically just following the scent to to kind of finding these little pockets that, that no one really knows about, right? Yes, and then choosing the right property within that pocket, and that's where the partner comes in. All right, last question for me, Barbara. For those that are listening to you and they feel the call in their soul, I need to be more like Barbara. But they're just risk averse. They have they don't have experience accepting that risk is a part of life. What advice do you have for those poor, timid souls? Get out of the game. I'm never gonna do well. I hate to be that coarse, but get out of the game. If you're afraid of risk, you have no business being in real estate. If you want to make money, you have to take a risk. It's just that way. And if you're measuring what you're about to go into based on what you could have bought it for last year, your memory is your greatest deficit, will hold you back. And if your mind is wired that way, get out of the game. Well, that is fantastic, Barbara. Thank you very much for sharing that advice. Perhaps the most honest advice and honest answer we've ever gotten on the show, by the way. And I love it. You so much. I try to be honest when I'm not bullshitting. Fuck. As you know from Two Truths and a Lie, there's often a lie mixed in with truths. And sometimes you have to be able to figure it out. But it can still be fun when you do so. Barbara, for people that want to find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? It's at Barbara Corcoran on all the social media platforms. If you just have want to have fun, uh, just follow me on Instagram and TikTok. I have a blast. But I also give great advice. Yeah, <laughs> I try to do both. Rob, how about you? Um, you can find me at Rob Built on YouTube. Uh, you can find me at Rob Built on Instagram. Uh, be sure to follow the Rob Built with the, the newly... Uh, added blue check mark, which is a beautiful day for me. So you no longer have to get asked if uh, you know I'm, I'm gonna you know to invest in forex or anything like that. Yeah, so make sure it's the blue check mark, 
And uh, be sure to also find me on the Apple's on the Apple Podcast platform where you can leave the Bigger Pockets podcast a five star review because this was one of the best episodes we have ever done. David, what about you? Yes, thank you for that mention about the blue check mark. This is my cup that I keep full of the tears of internet scammers as they are crying themselves to sleep every night, unable to scam people pretending to be us. You can find me at my website, davidgreen24.com or any social media that you like, davidgreen24. Please do, do go give me a follow. Barbara, you're such a pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much for being here and for calling me out. I feel like I don't call you yet. I'm doing it today. Thank you so much, Shirley. Thanks for the platform. Thanks. I want to say, Barbara, such a big fan. You are a hero of mine. And I think, honestly, I held it together pretty good on this podcast, considering how dang excited I was to interview you. So thank you so much for for joining today. And let me remind you, you were the winner of the contest. You got two out of three. Your partner only got one out of three. And I'm going to be the winner in nine years when I buy the, the penthouse. So that's that's really what I'm holding out for. I'm waiting for your call. Is this you? Is this you? <laughs> it is. This is David Green for Rob Bucket of Nuggets Abasolo. Signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.